Merry Christmas, and welcome to our weekly podcast. We're in week three of a series called Jesus Is. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 is the key verse for our Christmas series this year. This is what Isaiah wrote. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We know the name that Jesus was given is the name Jesus. Appearing to Joseph in a dream, an angel spoke these words in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus literally means Jehovah saves or God saves. But over 700 years before the birth of Jesus, the prophet Isaiah wrote about how the Messiah would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We've learned that these aren't the names of Jesus, but instead are descriptions of his character. Isaiah was giving his readers four descriptions of who the Messiah would be. And we know that names are really important. If you're a parent, if you've had the responsibility and the opportunity to name a child, you know just how important that process is. Over the past couple of years, it seems like there's always a baby or two on the way here at OCC. And I think that is awesome. If you're in that season right now, you know firsthand just how challenging it can be to name a child. Now, if you're having a hard time coming up with a name and you're having a boy, let me just suggest the name Craig. I think that's a good name. If you're having a girl, uh, I've got nothing for you. You know, I'm a dad of four boys. We've never had to name a girl. The names that we give to our kids are really important. In some ways, we want them to look like the name that we give them. Have you ever met someone whose name doesn't fit their looks? You know, the person says their name is Bob, but they look nothing like a Bob. Instead, they look like a David or a Mike. The one that really throws me off is The Rock. So The Rock was a famous wrestler, famous movie star. You probably know him. Um, His real name is Dwayne. I don't think that looks anything like The Rock. Now, before each of our kids were born, I remember going back and forth with my wife. Uh, We had a list of names for boys and girls, uh, potential names, and we really struggled finding the right name. I don't know why, but that's something that I just didn't want to get wrong. But thankfully, I think we got it right. You know, our boys each look like the name that they were given. And while they're not names, Isaiah did some major advanced planning when he pinned the words to Isaiah 9, verse 6. He was able to accurately describe the Messiah's character over 700 years before he was born, which I think is a miracle in and of itself. Writing to God's people in Judah, he was saying, this is who the Messiah would be. This is what the Messiah would be called. God inspired Isaiah to write about the character of the coming Messiah so that all of God's people would know that there's hope. All four of these descriptions are actually kingly descriptions. During Isaiah's time, these were important qualities and characteristics that people would typically look for in a king. Jesus is the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And he has all of these characteristics, and he has them perfectly. We've talked about how Jesus is our wonderful counselor. That means he's uniquely special, miraculous, and the kind of king who goes before his people, leading them into better days. We've also talked about how Jesus is our mighty God. 
That word mighty can mean hero. So Jesus is our hero God who is the source of our power. He's the source of our strength. And he's the one who secures our eternity. Today, we're going to talk about how Jesus is our everlasting father. But before we start unpacking this awesome truth, I need to clarify a few things. When people read about this description of Jesus, there's often some confusion between God the Father as our heavenly Father and God the Son, our Messiah, as our everlasting Father. God is often referred to as our heavenly Father, and Jesus is referred to as our everlasting Father, but these two terms don't mean the same thing. When we talk about the Godhead, Uh, the Trinity, so God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, one God and three persons, we're talking about how God relates to himself. When we talk about Isaiah's descriptions of the Messiah, a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace, we're talking about how our Messiah, Jesus, relates to us. For today's message, we're going to talk about how Jesus relates to us as our everlasting Father. Now, I want to walk through today's message by posing two questions. The first question is, what does everlasting Father mean? I think we need to understand what it is we're talking about. The second question is, why does it matter? You know, if Isaiah wrote about how the Messiah would be called everlasting Father over 700 years before he was born, why does that matter for our lives today? Well, let's address the first question first. Uh, What does everlasting Father mean? The word everlasting has to do with duration. So he's the father of time. That's what this word everlasting means. It means father of time. It can also mean father of eternity. When we think about something or someone being everlasting, we're typically thinking about the duration of whatever it is we're thinking about. When we think about the word father, we typically think about a relationship. So here you could say eternal father, everlasting Father. You could also think about this description in terms of Jesus being our forever Father. Isaiah was writing about how the Messiah would be our forever Father. For this first question, what does everlasting Father mean? I'd like for us to first focus in on the word everlasting or forever. So Jesus is our forever King. Remember, Isaiah was writing to a group of people who understood what it was like to have a king. Isaiah lived and spoke for God during the reigns of four different kings in Judah. You had King Uzziah, who was a pretty good king. His son, King Jotham, who was also a pretty good king. And when I say that, keep in mind, these were men, so they definitely had their faults. Then you get to King Ahaz. He was not a good king. He turned away from God. He was self-serving. He was terrible for Judah's military. And then you have King Hezekiah, who was also a good king. He trusted in God, but he ruled in Judah uh, during the time when the ten tribes of Israel were enslaved and exiled by the Assyrians. So This was a really difficult time. It's a time of gloom and despair. That's how the Bible describes it. It's in this time that Isaiah wrote about how a good king, a forever king, would be coming. He wrote about how there would be better days ahead. Isaiah chapters 7 through 12 were meant to be passages of hope for God's people during some very dark times. And they're passages of hope for God's people today as well. The Messiah that Isaiah wrote about would be called Everlasting Father. He would be our forever king, a king who would rule and reign in our lives and in our hearts forever. 
Isaiah's time wasn't the only time in history when God's people experienced gloom and despair. And we have our own seasons of suffering and struggle today. We call these seasons the storms of life. In a church our size, you know, we're not too large, but we're not too small. There are those of you who are going through a very difficult life storm right now. You might be struggling with anxiety, depression, maybe a lack of excitement for Christmas because of family problems or other difficult relationships. You know, we're not all that different from the people in Isaiah's time. Like them, we need hope for the days ahead. Like them, we want something good to happen in our lives and in the lives of the people around us. Even if we don't know how to articulate it, what we want and what we need is for someone to be our forever king. And this is how we should think about Jesus. Jesus is our forever king, our everlasting father. Even though Jesus was born as a human, you know, being both fully God and fully man, he didn't just live at one point in time. Jesus is eternal. And God's word is consistent in teaching this truth. I'll share a few verses with you this morning that highlight what I'm talking about. These verses speak to the everlasting or forever part of who Jesus is. First, we'll go to the book of Revelation at the end of your Bible. So Revelation chapter 1 verse 4 says, This letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come. So this is an incredible description of how Jesus is our forever king, how he's eternal. And then Revelation chapter 22, verse 13, has a similar description of Jesus. And these are actually the words of Jesus. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. This is Jesus speaking about how he's always been and always will be. And then Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, an incredible verse says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the Messiah who Isaiah wrote about and who all of the New Testament authors wrote about is our forever God. One pastor noted that there's three words that accurately describe Jesus' forever nature. The first word is the word eternal. So as our forever God, Jesus is eternal. Hebrews 13.8 um, highlights this truth. But we also have passages like John chapter 1. We read parts of this passage last week, but I want to read uh, more of it this week because it really does a great job of articulating Jesus' eternal nature. John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 says, In the beginning, the Word, which is Jesus, already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. So this truth, again, is consistent throughout God's word. Scripture is consistent in how it describes the eternal nature of the Messiah. The second word is the word creator. So as our forever God, Jesus is creator. If we pick up in verse 3 of John chapter 1, this is what we read. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. I don't know about you, but this truth about Jesus blows my mind. This time of year, we like to think about Jesus as a baby, and he was given to us as a baby, but Jesus has always been there, and everything that's ever been created was created through him. Jesus was present at creation. We can refer to him as the pre-existent Christ. He pre-existed what you and I know as creation. Not only was he present at creation, but he was involved in creation. John 1.3 says, nothing was created except through him. If you go to the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, 
the Apostle Paul wrote these words, For through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. It doesn't get any clearer than that. Jesus is our forever God in the sense that he is eternal, he is creator, and thirdly, he is unchanging. Hebrews 13, 8, I'll read this verse one more time. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So he's unchanging. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote these words in James chapter 1, verse 17. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. And then in the Old Testament, the prophet Malachi, Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, I, the Lord, do not change. So again, God's word is consistent when talking about Jesus's forever nature. Jesus is our forever God in the sense that he is eternal. He is creator and he is unchanging. This is how Jesus is everlasting. Now let's talk about how Jesus is not only everlasting or forever, but how he's also father. What did Isaiah mean when he referred to the Messiah as father? He says, everlasting father. The Hebrew word for father can also mean founder. A good way to think about this is by thinking about our country's founding fathers. So George Washington is considered to be the father of our country. James Madison, our fourth president, is considered to be the father of our constitution. These men are founding fathers. They're authors. They're originators. And they gave an identity to new ideas. Jesus, as our Messiah, is the father of life. He's the giver of life. He's the founder of these things. John chapter 1, verse 4, in him was life, and that life was the light to all mankind. Jesus is also the author or the founder of our salvation. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10 says, In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author, the founder, you know, the perfecter of our faith. The Greek word for author can also mean leader, someone who goes ahead of the group and leads the way. Jesus has opened the door to salvation for us. He leads us into a relationship with God. He's the author, the founder of our salvation. He's the leader of our salvation. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. Jesus is like a father in that he's the founder, the author, and the originator of life, salvation, and faith. Jesus is also like a father because he intercedes for us. This is such an important word and such an important truth. Someone who intercedes for someone else goes to bat for them. They're there for them, regardless of what they go through. If someone intercedes for someone else, they stand in the gap for them. Romans chapter 8, verse 34, talks about Jesus as our intercessor. The Apostle Paul wrote these words, Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Such an amazing truth. Paul says that Jesus, at this very moment, is interceding for us in heaven. 
So if you're in Christ, if you have a relationship with Jesus, God has forgiven you, and he's removed the shame and the guilt that comes with sin. Satan, on the other hand, wants to accuse you. Satan is the father of lies. But when he does this, Jesus is the one who goes to bat for you. He stands in the gap as the one who intercedes on your behalf. Jesus stands at the right hand of God the Father, presenting your case that you've been forgiven and freed in him. Friends, this is amazing. The pastor I served with in Clayton, Indiana, likes to say that when you go to heaven and you stand before God, you're going to stand beside Jesus who will look at you and then look at God the Father and say, he or she is with me. This is who Jesus is as our everlasting Father. He intercedes for us. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 24 and 25 says, But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he's able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Jesus didn't just intercede for you one time when he was on the cross. Because the Bible says he lives forever and has a permanent priesthood, he'll intercede for you for all time. Jesus is able to meet our need for salvation perfectly because he is our perfect, everlasting father. His sacrifice on the cross is good for all time, not just for a few days or for a few years. I hope this helps you understand who Jesus is as our everlasting father. As our everlasting father, he is our forever king. He's our forever God. Let's shift gears a little bit and talk about the second question. Why does this matter? You know, if Isaiah wrote about this over 700 years before Jesus was born, why does this matter for our lives today? Well, friends, if you don't understand who Jesus is as your everlasting father, you're going to struggle when it comes to growing in your relationship with him. After almost 15 years of serving in vocational ministry in the local church, I've found that many people, many people, have a hard time growing in their relationship with God as their heavenly father and thinking about Jesus as their everlasting father because they had a difficult relationship with their earthly father growing up. So if your earthly father didn't have these qualities, and understand, none of our earthly fathers are perfect. Dads, none of us are perfect. But if your earthly father didn't have these qualities, if he didn't build a strong relationship with you, if he wasn't dependable, if he didn't give you good advice, and if he was absent altogether, then that has likely shaped how you relate to God as your heavenly father and Jesus as your everlasting father. And this is why this matters so much. Let's spend a few minutes talking about your relationship with Jesus as your everlasting father, as well as your relationship with your own earthly father. It was J.D. Greer, He served as the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, and he currently serves as the pastor of the Summit Church in Durham, North Carolina. Um, He wrote a series of articles about four different kinds of father wounds that people tend to have because of the kind of dad they grew up with. I'm only going to scratch the surface on what he had to say about this really important topic So if you have some free time this week, I want to encourage you to visit jdgreer.com and read these articles for yourself. First kind of father wound that he wrote about is what's called the never satisfied dad. The never satisfied dad. Some of you may have grown up with a never satisfied dad. This kind of dad is the one who, no matter what you did, never seemed to be proud of you. And this doesn't mean that he was unkind or abusive, but that you likely never heard the words, I'm proud of you. You never heard the words, good job, or keep it up. 
the never satisfied dad is very light on praise towards their kids. Now, dads, this can be a reminder for all of us today that we should be actively looking for opportunities to affirm the value of our kids regardless of their accomplishments. As our everlasting father, Jesus is not a never satisfied dad. The prophet Zephaniah wrote these words in Zephaniah 3 verse 17. It says, For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. So this is how our everlasting father thinks about us. He delights in us with gladness. He calms all our fears. He rejoices over us with joyful songs. So Jesus is not the never satisfied dad. Father wound number two is what's called the time bomb dad. The time bomb dad. So many of you grew up with a time bomb dad. This kind of dad is impulsive, unreliable, and sometimes dangerous. With the time bomb dad, you never know what you're going to get. If he had a bad day at work, even the smallest disruption at home can set him off. People who are raised by this kind of dad never learn to love their dad because they were taught to be afraid of him. As our everlasting father, Jesus is the furthest thing from a time bomb dad. Psalm 103 verse 5 says, The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. Where the time bomb dad lacks compassion and mercy, Jesus is always compassionate and full of mercy. Where the time bomb dad angers quickly and doesn't demonstrate a whole lot of love, Jesus is slow to anger and filled with unfailing love. Remember this, if you're in Christ, if you have a relationship with Jesus, there's not one thing that's ever happened to you or will ever happen to you that God does not intend for good. Jesus is not a time bomb dad. Father wound number three, this is the emotionally distant dad. The emotionally distant dad. If you grew up with an emotionally distant dad, he may have been stable. He may have been consistent in providing for his family, but he didn't express a whole lot of emotion towards you. He rarely made you feel special or rarely told you that he was proud of you and that he loved you. He rarely hugged you. And because of this, you may have grown up with the idea planted in the back of your mind that you somehow have to prove yourself to everyone just so that you can be noticed. Uh, Bo Jackson, he was a former professional football and baseball player. He once said this, my father has never seen me play a football or baseball game. Can you imagine? Here I am, Bo Jackson, one of the so-called premier athletes in the country, and I'm sitting in the locker room and envying every one of my teammates whose dad would come in and have a talk or have a drink with them after the game, but I never experienced that. Responding to this quote, J.D. Greer wrote, There isn't much Bo Jackson could have done to excel more in athletics. Yet at the very top of his game, he still felt the wound of an emotionally absent father. So this is what being raised by an emotionally distant dad can do to a person. What a reminder for all the dads listening in today for us to be intentional about connecting with our kids on a regular basis. Now, if you happen to be reading through Luke's gospel for Advent this month, and I hope that you are, it's impossible to walk away with any other view of Jesus than how he is emotionally connected to us. He's always involved in our lives, and he isn't afraid to tell us what he thinks or what he feels about us. Jesus is not the emotionally distant dad. Father wound number four. This is the absent dad. 
the absent dad. This may be the hardest one, especially if this was your experience growing up. The absent dad usually doesn't mean to tell his kids that they don't matter. But for the people who had to grow up without a dad, that's the message they received. And as a result, there's a feeling of abandonment, a belief that they're unloved, and it's hard to trust people as they go through life. The wounds that are left by an absent dad say you can't rely on anyone, that sooner or later things are going to come crashing down, and you're not good enough. Friends, as our everlasting father, Jesus is not an absent father. Hebrews 13, verse 5, For God has said, I will never fail you, and I will never abandon you. This is a promise that we can build our lives on. As our everlasting father, Jesus will never fail us, and he will never abandon us. If you have father wounds because of your relationship with your earthly father, this truth about who Jesus is as your everlasting father is the encouragement, it's the foundation that you need because he alone is the father you've always craved. Your earthly dad, even if he was solid, is not perfect. But Jesus never disappoints. He never forsakes and he never leaves. This season, we can celebrate Jesus as our perfect, everlasting Father.